The supporting actor in today's gospel passage is none other than the devil himself, which is among the frequently asked questions of priests. People are very curious about the devil. People are very interested to know more. Perhaps it's because some of the most dramatic films that have ever been made are about the demonic, are about possessions. And I say most dramatic in this sense. There are many better quality movies, perhaps, than the exorcism movies that are out there. But dramatic in the sense that it's real. It's based in truth. And that heightens the drama. And so people are frequently concerned that they might end up like the little girl in The Exorcist, or in The Right, or in The Exorcism of Emily Rose. That's probably the wrong thing to be concerned about. We say that the devil works in a variety of ways. The wisdom of the church over the years has identified them, named them. And certainly the most dramatic is that of possession, where the person's own personality, the person's own will, ability to choose, has been nearly taken over. And that the evil one can act and speak through that person. This happens, though rarely. Slightly more frequently, in fact a lot more frequently, is what we call not possession but obsession. When the evil one transfix our thoughts and our hearts on something negative, evil, bad, corrupt. He plays on our own personalities, our own weaknesses, our individual proclivities in order to do that. It frequently works hand in hand with natural or psychological phenomena that we would call addiction. In a vicious circle, the addiction feeds the obsession, which feeds the addiction, which feeds the obsession. Sometimes this is to an extreme degree, sometimes in a small degree. Even St. Paul talks about this a little bit. He says, even when I want to do what is good, when I desire what is good, I find in me evil. Some other presence, other than my own desire, my own will. We also speak of a lesser level of interaction, which is called oppression, sometimes called vexation, that's when the devil tends to affect us physically in some way. You see that a lot um, in the New Testament with illnesses, and Jesus casts out the demon and the illness leaves as well. You see that in movies sometimes too, because it has a dramatic quality to it. Poking or prodding, feeling some sort of presence in our body. We speak of infestation when the evil one attaches himself to a place or an object. 
But truthfully, these all shouldn't concern us greatly. They're real. They happen. But they're not the most common. The most common way that the evil one interacts with human beings is what we see in the gospel today. And it's the one that we probably pay the least attention to. Temptation. Everyone wants to ask me all sorts of questions about possession or about obsession, about infestations, when many people will never experience that in their whole life. But you've experienced the evil one tempting perhaps this very day. And cunning as he is, he flies under the radar in this way. Because we're always looking for something dramatic, something sensational, something they could make a movie out of. But in front of the camera lens, temptation is boring, which makes it insidiously powerful. On Ash Wednesday, I spoke about temptation coming from three sources, within ourselves, the flesh, from outside of ourselves, from another earthly source, someone else might tempt me, that's the world, and the devil. That's something within me, but also not me, like St. Paul was talking about. I know my desire to do what is right and good very well, and yet there's something else in me that prompts me to do what is evil, that prompts me to do what is wrong. And there whispers the voice of the tempter. Jesus is our leader in faith. And what we mean by that very specifically is that where he goes, we shall follow. He shows us the way. And so he goes out into the desert, praying and fasting and loving the pattern of our 40 days of Lent. And there he encounters the evil one who tempts him. Again, on Wednesday, I said one of the main purposes of Lent is to move away from temptation. To move away from sin as well, but to move away from temptation itself. Jesus shows us that we have to confront that as part of our spiritual battle. And we learn some things about the way that Jesus confronts temptation. The devil says to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Aquinas says this is the first base layer of temptation, the temptation to pleasure. Here, the pleasure of food for someone who's hungry. Forty days he ate nothing, and when they were over, he was hungry, says Luke. Understatement of the year. What pleasure a loaf of bread would bring to someone who is so hungry. But Jesus doesn't do it. He says, one does not live on bread alone. He quotes the scriptures to the tempter. But this wasn't a temptation to sin. It wouldn't have been sinful 
for Jesus to turn the stone into a loaf of bread? I can't think of anything sinful about that. It would almost seem, if it weren't a supernatural miracle, you know, the whole stone into bread thing, to be a natural response. If I can get food, I'm going to get food because I'm hungry. But here the evil one is tempting him to use his power for himself. And God works many miracles, but never for his own sake. It was God who commanded Moses to hit the stone and water would flow miraculously. He's fed and watered people miraculously, the manna in the desert. Jesus multiplies the loaves and fishes. Food miracles are not outside of God's plan, but that was always for the benefit of others and the good of salvation. Even when he raised Lazarus from the dead, who was his own close friend, he says, I have done this so that you might know the power of God, even over death. It wasn't a personal miracle because he wanted his friend back. It was for our sake and our salvation. But here, alone in the desert, the evil one tempts him to selfishness, which God will have no part of. Sin always turns us in on ourselves. It makes us concerned only about ourselves, more and more. The pleasures of the world are not bad things, They were created by God himself. It was God who designed the human being so that we get hungry and that a loaf of bread would be a pleasurable experience. It's not the pleasure that's the problem. It's the selfishness. And how frequently we wish to accumulate pleasures for our own selfish gain. He says to him, I shall give you all this power and glory If only you would worship me. This kingdom is mine, says the evil one. And it could be yours too. Here is the temptation to power. The Lord Jesus is the all-powerful God. The devil always twists what is true. It's true that Jesus is powerful, but it's not because the evil one made him so. That's not his to give. The evil one wishes to twist the truth. And he knows our weakness. He knows the human being's desire for control. But Jesus is our leader, and though he is God, St. Paul says he did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. He lowered himself and became like us. He doesn't exercise his omnipotence at every turn. But he shows us the humble way of trusting in the Lord, trusting in his Father. This will come to a climax the night before he dies 
when he prays a very human prayer for this suffering to pass from him, but says, not my will, Father, but your will be done. He's showing us the way. And so against the temptation to power and control, Jesus shows the security and safety of trusting in God our Father. And finally, the evil one tempts him with glory. The angels will come to guard you. They shall support you. You could fly. How glorious that would be. He's kind of trying to tempt Jesus with a superpower, if you think about it. Eternal glory. Don't you want that? Yes, and he has it, but not from the evil one, from his Father in heaven. And Jesus here shows us something else. That the evil one is cunning. And that though he is evil, that doesn't make him stupid. The devil knows the scriptures better than I do, probably. The evil one can quote scripture too. And here he does it. Jesus has been responding to him with the words of the Old Testament. And so the devil says, well, I can do that too. And so we must be shrewd in discerning the spirits. Where is this desire? Where is this inclination coming from that I find within me? If it is not from the Lord, it's from the evil one. He can come disguised as an angel of light. That's what Lucifer means. He can come with words that sound good. These are the scriptures after all. But it's truth twisted. And so our Lord shows us to be firmly grounded in the whole truth. The evil one picks and chooses the scriptures according to their usefulness to him. But Jesus says, it also says you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Here we have not only trust in the Father, but trust in the things that the Father has revealed. Trust in the scriptures which come from the church. To trust in the fullness of the truth and not to pick and choose. In one way or another, the evil one works in our lives to tempt us each day under the large umbrella of temptations to elicit pleasure, the large umbrella of temptations to glory, elicit temptations to honor that doesn't belong to us. He does this by turning us inward on ourselves. By increasing our pride. And by twisting the truth. 
As we embark on this spiritual battle that we call Lent, as we enter into our own desert, the evil one will be sure to make an appearance in our lives as well. If he did it for the Lord, why would we think we would be exempt? Let's not look for him only in the dramatic and the sensational. But let us be attentive each day to the way he tries to tempt us to turn away from the Lord, to turn away from others, and to turn in on ourselves. Let us pay attention to the ways that he twists the good things of this world, that he twists even the truth. And let us follow Jesus, our leader and the perfecter of our faith, in not running from temptation, but confronting it and denouncing it. For he shows us here that though the devil may be insistent upon his temptation, here we see three of them, but three, of course, is a symbol of fullness and completeness. Even at the end, it says, when the devil had finished every temptation. The devil may be persistent, but if we persevere in faith, God intends to give us victory in the same way that he gave it to his son. For in the end, Jesus knew great satisfaction and fulfillment, though at that moment he did not turn the stone into bread. In the end, Jesus knew true honor and received great glory from his Father, though he would not take it for himself here. And we too shall know those things as well. Bearing the name of Christ, we shall know fulfillment, honor, and glory in him. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus this Lent. See temptation for what it is and denounce it with the power of his name.